As you are finding your seats, if you would, look around you. If there wasn't one of these on your seats, everybody grab one and wave it around in the air. Everybody should have one of these Easter invitations before you leave today. There's no excuse. Nobody's ever on the front row, so you can come take these. This is the splash zone. I don't, I don't know if I actually spit that much when I talk, but this is the splash zone. So these are invitations to our Easter service. We are in the middle of a series called Contagious. We're learning about sharing our faith and how we can be more uh, equipped, better equipped, and better suited to uh, share our faith And at the end of this series, we are going to have a message on God's contagious love that will be on Easter Sunday. And this is the perfect opportunity for those people that you've been praying for, that you've been inviting uh, to River Rock Bible Church. This is the perfect opportunity. We want you to invite them to our Easter Sunday service. And actually, we're doing things a little bit different this year. We're going to have some things for them and for their families on Easter Sunday morning. We will have an Easter egg hunt that's going to take place right here out on the lawn. The youth are going to be helping set that up for the kids. And what we need from you is we need you to start bringing plastic eggs and individually wrapped candies so that these families can come and just have their Easter egg hunt right here on Easter Sunday morning. There's no reason for them to have to go buy their own eggs and worry about it. Just let them know, hey, we'll, we'll do the Easter egg hunt for you. And then right after that, at 9.30, we're going to move inside and we're going to have breakfast together. So if you like to bake or if you don't like to bake, we need breakfast. So you can do breakfast casserole, you can do uh, uh, muffins, whatever you have. We're going to have it all set up right here in the worship center and people will be able to come and after their Easter egg hunt, just enjoy breakfast together. There's a spot on your connection card to check that you're interested in serving in that way, you can just check that box. And I really want to encourage you. Here's what we're asking. We're asking that you would take this this week and give it to one of your friends, neighbors, coworkers, classmates, and then share with me or Stephen or one of the elders your story. You can email it to us. You can share it on our Facebook page. We want to hear what's your story. And you may think, well, it's not that important. It's not that big a deal. It's just a small thing. All I did was, was give an invitation to my neighbor and they said they might come. We still want to know about it. We want to celebrate that with you. Um, Some of you are going to have really cool stories. You're going to have people that you've been praying for for a long time that you're going to give this to, and they're going to say, you know what? I think I'm going to come. So we want to hear about that. So can you you do that this week? Can you do that? All right, here's the other thing. Last week we did this. I had everybody stand up. We're going to do it again. Everybody stand on up. If you've been here three or more times, stand up to River Rock Bible Church. You've been here three or more times. Here's what we're going to do. You're going to raise your right hand. Now, I don't judge. I don't want any of that funny business like I got last week. All right, I... State your name. Yeah, I got you right here, right here. I know you guys better than that. Uh, Am hereby deputized as an official greeter of River Rock Bible Church. All right, absolutely. You guys are officially, congratulations. You are now greeters at River Rock Bible Church. Here's the thing. In order to be a greeter, guess what? You have to be here to greet people when they get here. All right, so that means, that means we're going to ask that you guys would start in the next few weeks, start coming a little bit early so that you're here to greet our visitors. That way, by the time Easter Sunday rolls around, it is habit for you. You're in the habit. You're here to greet them. You're here to welcome them um, because we do believe that there are going to be a number of visitors. Imagine how embarrassing it would be for you to invite your neighbor and they're here 15, 20 minutes early looking for you and you're here 15, 20 minutes late uh, and you're like, uh, hey, 
Glad you came. Sorry there's not a seat next to you. All right, so we want to encourage you guys to be here early. One other announcement that we have about Easter is the week before Easter, we have our village Easter egg hunt. This is the perfect opportunity, uh, and here's what we're asking. If you live in the village, you're going to be receiving some invitations. We want you to invite your neighbors to this Easter egg hunt. Uh, The children are going to hear the gospel presented through the resurrection eggs. They're going to get to do the Easter egg hunt as normal. Fire, police department are going to be there. Hopefully we don't need them there, but they're going to be there for fun stuff. Uh, And then we're going to have bounce houses, and it'll be a great time for the kids. And this is a great opportunity for you to just interact with your neighbors. Just get to know them. Uh, And then if you don't live in the village, we're asking that you would sign up to serve that you would sign up to help put out the Easter eggs, that you'd sign up to paint somebody's face, that you would sign up to uh, just greet people and welcome them as they come so that the people who do live here have the opportunity to just interact with their neighbors and and really show them a great time. So there are boxes on your connection card to handle those and check those. And please take some time and do that. Uh, And as we begin our message this morning, we're in a contagious series. We're learning about being contagious with our faith. And I just want to celebrate a couple of stories. One of those, I'm going to ask Angela Pinkerton to join me up here. Uh, Angela is, has been a member of River Rock Bible Church for about six months now? Six months. Six attending months and attending for a little over a year. And uh, Angela, just tell us a little bit about, you know, you've, we've seen your video, how you got to River Rock Bible Church. But tell us a little bit about what the Contagious series has meant to you so far. Well, to me, evangelism was always that crazy person on the street corner yelling and screaming and saying, turn or burn. Um, And to me, Contagious Christian series um, let me know that it could be as easy as a conversation, saying hi to somebody, sharing your story, and it doesn't have to be extreme. It can be whatever's comfortable for you and what your personal style is. And this past Monday morning, what, what was it like? Getting up, getting ready for work, just a normal day, what was that? Normal day, I was driving to work, having my private time with Jesus and um, asking him to use me and to let me be his vessel and to work through me, and um, he did. And then you, so you get to work, mm-hmm. and what happens? Tell us that story. Um, a coworker of mine who I've been talking to off and on, and she's been struggling with things at home, um, just looked like she had been sobbing the whole way to work, the opposite of what I had been doing. And um, I went into her little office, and I said, hey, do you, do you want to talk? And she, she said, yes, please, and she started bawling. Um, and she was having troubles with her boyfriend, and it's not a good situation, and um, problems with other things in her life, um, with her son, custody, her young daughter's pregnant, um, things like that. And she just bawled and let go and told me she didn't feel like she had control. She felt lost. She didn't know what was going to happen. She was terrified. She had no more hope. Um, she just felt empty and alone and scared. And um, I just started sharing with her the gospel and that it's not in her control, it's in God's control. And the only way that you can get peace, hope, and love um, is through trusting in Jesus Christ and that he died for her and he is there, her savior and he's the one who can hold her when she's alone and scared and troubled and he's the one who's going to make sure everything's going to be okay in her life. Sorry. Um, and she asked me to pray with her. And she gave her life to Jesus. Amen. Praise God. All right. So what, what happened after that? So that was the morning. And then she went to lunch and um, came back. And during that lunchtime, a f- friend of hers reached out to her and offered her home up to her and her children. So she doesn't have to be in that spot anymore. Excellent. And she said, you know, that wouldn't have happened 
if it wasn't for me putting my trust in Jesus. And um, he immediately provided, and she saw his miracles happen right away. Awesome. Congratulations. And so for you, what, what was that experience like to be used by God in that way? It was humbling. It was moving, and it was very powerful. I could physically feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in the room, and so could she. We were just getting goosebumps, and it was just awesome and very humbling. And to know that by being faithful and listening to him and allowing myself to be used by him, that my friend doesn't have to go through that anymore and that she's saved. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for Angela, and then I want to just let you get back to your seat. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Angela. I thank you for developing a contagious heart in her and for her willingness simply to be used by you. I pray for each and every single person at River Rock Bible Church that you would allow us to develop this kind of heart and this kind of willingness to be used by you. Lord, let every single person in this room experience that feeling uh, of the Holy Spirit working in and through us as we share the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ with the people around us. We praise you and thank you for what you've done through Angela, for bringing one more into your family forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys give her a round of applause. It is an amazing thing to, to simply celebrate someone who is faithful. She's, she's not an evangelist. That's not her spiritual gift. That's not uh, who she thought she was. But she was simply willing. She was available to the Holy Spirit. She was available to God and his leading. And uh, we've got one other story that I want to celebrate real quick. And I'm not going to ask her to come up because I didn't ask her earlier. But uh, Devin Bush, if you know her, you know that we've mentioned her name before. Devin and Jared, if you don't know this about them, they, they are evangelists. That is their, uh, it, is, it has been an amazing thing for the last four years of my life to be able to serve in ministry alongside of them. Uh, and, and when I say they're evangelists, they're the kind of people that can look at someone and say, well, you just need to give your life to Jesus. And the person will be like, okay. And like, it's that easy for them because they are so in tune and, and so available to the leading of the Holy Spirit. But, uh, week before last it was, Devin is a nurse and she's going through a geriatric rotation and she had to interview this patient that was 90 years old and she texted me and said somewhere between gangrene and bowel movements, uh, I shared the gospel with her and she put her trust in Jesus Christ. And uh, I, can, I can guarantee you it, it began just with Devin waking up that morning saying, God, use me wherever I am. Uh, and I know Devin's prayed that many times. I know Jared's prayed that many times. I know that was exactly Angela's prayer on that morning was just, God, use me today. And it was that simple And when God opened the door, they saw it because they developed a contagious heart. And here's the thing about having a contagious heart is when we are sharing the gospel, I truly believe that that is where our Christianity comes to life. That is where your prayer life uh, begins to change because you're you're like, uh, is it? Aerosmith, living on the edge, right? You're, you're living on the edge of, of the evangelistic life. And, and you start reading scripture differently because you're thinking, God, don't just fill this for me, but show me how I can share this with someone else. Your prayer life begins to change. You're like Bon Jovi, living on a prayer, right? So, uh, sorry, I love classic rock. Uh, and I could, I could go all day with those. Uh, you know what Jesus said when he told the disciples to follow him? He said, walk this way, right? So I, can, I got a ton of those. If one of these days I'm going to do a series. All right, back on track. Chase the rabbit long enough. Uh, but, 
but you're living on the edge. Your prayer life begins to change because you're no longer just praying for your needs, uh, your desires, but you're praying for other people. And things begin to change. It becomes alive. It's no longer stale and stagnant and just about knowledge and consuming. It becomes about how do I, how do I share this? Like we talked about the abundance mindset, that stockpile mindset of I've got so much. How do I now share this with someone else? And it comes alive. And that all comes out of a contagious heart. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we move into week two of our contagious series. And and I I believe if we're going to develop a contagious heart, the number one place we have to look is to our Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so this morning I want to just ask one question. Uh, and, And I know this is way back to when I was in middle school, high school. What would Jesus do? And the great thing that I always said, even back then, I said, we don't have to ask what Jesus would do because we know what he did. We have the Bible to tell us. So we're going to ask the question, if Jesus lived in my house, if Jesus sat in my desk at school, if, if Jesus was in my cubicle at the office, if his kids were on, my, uh, on the same sports team that my kids are on, how would he interact with the people around him where he lives, works, and plays? And we're just going to use the term neighbor generally to mean the people that are in close proximity to us. So we're going to ask, how would Jesus interact with his neighbors if he lived where I lived, if he worked where I worked, and he played where I play? How would he interact with his neighbors? And the very first thing that I think that we would see of Jesus is this, that before talking to his neighbors about their heavenly father, Jesus would talk to his heavenly father about his neighbors. You follow? What does that mean? That means Jesus would be praying for his neighbors before he even began to talk to his neighbors about his heavenly father. And let me tell you, the coolest thing happened this Wednesday at our community group. Angela happens to be in the best community group here at River Rock Bible Church, uh, Clove Hitch for Life. Hey, all right. So it's my opinion. Uh, she's in my group. Uh, so, or I'm in her group, actually. So she's in our community group, and we're sitting there, and we're opening up, and we get to the end of the lesson, and it says, now go back through your impact list that you created the first week. And she opens it up, and she says, look, there's my friend's name. Her friend that she had written on an impact list and began praying for just one week before, less than, less than a week. Uh, of praying for her, she comes to know Jesus Christ as her Savior. And so, do, does prayer work? Absolutely. So, how do we know? How do we know that Jesus would pray for his neighbors? Well, we we have a lot of examples of Jesus praying in Scripture. One of those comes in John chapter eleven, beginning in verse forty-two. This is he's on his way. Lazarus is dead. Lazarus has been in the grave for a number of days now. And Jesus, we read this about him. So they removed the stone. Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me. But because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that they may believe that you sent me. And after he said this, he shouted with a loud loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. So Jesus prays. He says, Father, I know that you always hear me, but I'm praying this. Let's look at that verse again. I'm praying this. Why? So that they may, what does it say? You always hear me, but I'm praying this for the crowd standing here so that they may what? Believe that you sent me. And I believe what Jesus prays out loud here, he prayed many times silently. Lord, that they would believe that they would believe, that they would believe. Father, as I'm performing this miracle, would they believe? We know on his way to the cross, John 17, he says, Father, I pray not just for my disciples, but those who will believe through them. I pray for those who will believe, that they will believe. Why? Because Jesus knew that apart from faith in him, 
that people are destined to hell. We talked about it last week. I don't want to be all crazy again, but that is a reality that apart from faith in Jesus Christ, that you are destined to spend eternity in hell, separated from God. Jesus knew that. He believed that. And so everything he did was so that people would believe that they would put their trust in him. And Jesus prays this prayer, and he asks that they would believe. Earlier in John chapter 11, he says this. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, ever. Do you believe this? Jesus knew that apart from faith in him, the people were destined to be separated from him. And so everything he does, he, he he does in order to bring people into faith in him. We have to, we are called to be laborers in the harvest field. We know that there is nothing in and of ourselves that we can do to convince someone to put their faith in Jesus Christ. Our job is, is to prepare the soil. Our job is to scatter the seed. Our job is to water it. But God is the one who has to cause the growth. We know that that is very biblical. We are the laborers. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. If you pray to the Lord of the harvest, he will send laborers into his harvest field. This is why we have chosen to move our service time from 10 o'clock to 10.02. Because every day we want to start with 10.02 prayer. My phone goes off every day at 10.02. My daughter uh, sitting in here, Charlie, what do we do every day at 10.02? We pray for the harvest and laborers. My two-year-old daughter, Evie, hears the phone going off at 10.02. She runs down the stairs. It's time to pray. It's time to pray. It's time to pray. They know what we do every day at 10.02. We, we moved our service time to 10.02, not just so you would be 13 minutes late instead of 15 minutes late, but so that we could start by praying for the harvest and the laborers. This coming Thursday... Is it this Thursday already? This coming Thursday, fourth Thursday prayer, March 23rd, we gather over at Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown, in that little house at the back, and we get on our knees and we pray for the lost. We pray specifically by name. And I'm going to ask this Thursday that you make it a priority to be there, that you make it a priority to be there, and you bring the names of those people on your impact list. And you pray. We're going to pray specifically for our Easter Sunday service. God, would every single name on every single list for every single person at River Rock Bible Church, would you bring them on Easter Sunday? And would you provide an opportunity for us to share the gospel before Easter? Would you allow us to see every single one of these people come and put their faith in Jesus Christ, that they would believe, that they would believe, that they would believe and trust in him? Before Jesus talks to his neighbors about his heavenly father, he would talk to his heavenly father about his neighbors. We must pray consistently, specifically, fervently for our neighbors. And I can tell you that this works. This works. I can attest to it. My wife and I, two, uh, almost, almost two years ago, the end of April, moved into this street around Clofitch, about one street over and the very first thing we did, even before we moved, as we were building our house, we got to meet some of the people that were living on a street, and we started writing their names down. How many of you remember that uh, chart of shame from Art of Neighboring, right? So we pulled out our chart of shame, and we started writing down people's names and filling it in, a block map. And then our block map got too big. We ran out of spaces. We started having too many names. And here's what we would do. 
I would come in and, and a man would say, I'm going to get the mail. Would you pray for me that I'd have a chance to run into one of our neighbors? And I'd pray for her as she goes down to get the mail. And then I would say, I'm going to go out in front and play with the kids. Would you pray for me that one of our neighbors would come outside and I'd get a chance to talk to them? And we got to meet almost every single person on our street. And I hope my neighbors aren't embarrassed by this, but I'm looking at a row full of my neighbors that are here in part because we just started praying for them. And, and now we have the pleasure of, of living our life on our street and in our neighborhood with our friends, and we get to do church with them, and we get to see them come. A few weeks ago, you remember Sean and Dana, my neighbors. I can remember the first time I met Sean, and I, I invited them to River Rock Bible Church, and it was a few, few months later that they started coming, and they were just baptized a few weeks ago. I can tell you that prayer is powerful, and it works. It works. It's an amazing thing. And, and not only that, but it changes your relationship with your neighbors. When you can just send them a text and say, man, I've, I've been praying for you and your family today. It is, it, I feel so close. Scripture says, better is a neighbor close by than a brother far away. And I'll tell you that that is true in my life. And, and, and I can just, from the bottom of my heart, I wish every single one of you could experience what I have on my street and in my neighborhood uh, just because of, of the relationships we've been able to develop that all started with praying for our neighbors. Uh, so, all right, I'll get off my soapbox and we'll get back to the message now. All right, so first thing Jesus would do is he would pray for his neighbors. The second thing he would do is that he would assure his neighbors that his door is always open for questions. Jesus would assure his neighbors that his door is always open for questions. There is not a single incidence in the Bible where Jesus is asked a question that I can think of where he reprimands the person who asked the question. Jesus, Jesus is always open to genuine questions. In fact, John chapter 3, we have Nicodemus who comes to Jesus in the middle of the night and, and he's asking Jesus all these questions. And out of that conversation, we get one of the best verses out of the Bible. John three sixteen. Jesus answers, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Many of you know that verse. Most people, that's the the one verse that they know. Uh, But I want us to look at another incidence where Jesus has asked a question. And this is the story of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, if you remember, uh, there was a time when he says of Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He says, I'm not fit to untie his sandals. He was there when Jesus was baptized and the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus. And John the Baptist hears the voice from heaven say, this is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. He knows who Jesus is, but something bad happens in John's life. Like many of us, when something bad happens, what do we do? We start to question everything. And so John is thrown in jail and he begins to question. And so he sends his disciples to Jesus. And in Luke 7, we read this about Jesus. Luke chapter 7, I believe it's in verse 22. Um, he sends his disciples, John sends his disciples to ask Jesus a question. And Jesus says, uh, Jesus replies to the disciples, go and report to John the things that you have seen and heard. He says, just tell him what you've seen. That the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with skin diseases are healed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. And he says, look, just, just go back and tell John what you've seen. What you've heard. He doesn't reprimand John. He doesn't say, oh, ye of little faith. And in fact, later, he's going to say this about John. He says, I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John. 
No one is greater than John. He doesn't reprimand John for his sincere question, for a genuine question. Jesus is always open for questions, and we must always be open for questions. And let me tell you, uh, I I think the number one reason why, why we shy away from evangelism is because as Christians, we're afraid. What if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? 1 Peter 3 says that we are to set aside, always be ready to give, uh, set aside Christ as Lord in your hearts. And it says, always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. We are to be prepared to answer the questions for why are you so happy? Reese Crosby's not here today, but I could tell you, he's one of the happiest people you will ever meet, even with everything that his wife is going through with her cancer diagnosis and everything that's happened to them, he remained one of the most joyful people. And people ask him all the time why he is so happy. Uh, And and it's a contagious joy. And let me tell you, he gives them the answer. He gives them the answer. And, And it's that simple. But so often we shy away from sharing our faith because what if they ask me about, uh, creation? What if they ask me about evolution? What if they ask me about evil and sin and all these things that I don't know the answer to? But this says that we're to be prepared to give an answer. Let me prepare you for an answer. Here's what I do. Whenever I'm asked a question that I don't know the answer to, you ready? I don't know. Let me find out. It's that simple. You just say, you know what? I don't know. Let me get with my pastor and ask him. Let me get with my community group leader and ask them if they can help me find the answers. Let's find the answer together. Because here's the reality is we have the truth. The truth is here in the pages of scripture. And the truth always wins. Nothing can stand up against the truth. That's the reality. And so we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to shy away from those questions. I also think about uh, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind in all your strength. And I think sometimes as Christians, uh, we've got fit bodies but fat minds, right? Uh, we go to the gym and we take care of our bodies because we, we want to make sure that our temple of the Holy Spirit looks good. Um, but we've got fat minds because we're, we're, we're not studying the things of God. We're not preparing ourselves to answer those questions. And, and let me just remind you, you don't have to have all the answers, there are a lot of great resources out there, and I want to share some of those with you right now if you want to write these down. Lee Strobel, one of the authors of this study, has written a number of books. Uh, probably the most popular is The Case for Christ. There's also one that he's written called The Case for Faith. He's got one called The Case for Creation. And then lastly, I want to point you to a website called ExploreGod.com. This is uh, an amazing website that's been up for a number of years now, three or four years. It's got a number of articles on some of the biggest questions that people who, who are not Christians have about God, about Christianity. It covers, uh, is the Bible reliable? Um, why is there evil in the world? What about suffering? If God is good, how come we suffer? It covers, covers things like creation. It's got great, powerful videos from people who are sharing their stories. It's got articles. And you, you can almost search any topic that you can think of, and it'll pull up articles, videos, um, news stories for you to read and to uh, be resourced and to be able to answer those questions. So I encourage you guys, go and check out these resources. You don't have to have all the answers. You just have to know where to find them, right? You don't have to be a Lee Strobel. You just use his stuff. I do it all the time. I'm doing it right now. Uh, just be prepared with the answers and be prepared to know where to find the answers. Jesus would never turn away 
a genuine answer uh, from someone who is asking. So we must be like Jesus. We must be prepared and let our neighbors know that our door is always open for their questions. Next, Jesus uh, wouldn't just share his faith. He would show his faith. He wouldn't just share his faith. He would show his faith. In other words, talk is cheap. Jesus didn't just say that he loved the world. He went to the cross and he showed his love. Matthew 20, 28 says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus is saying, look, I'm, I'm not just going to tell you that I love you and that your heavenly Father loves you. I'm going to show it. I'm going to serve you by laying down my life. We are called to serve our neighbors in this same way. Uh, there's a book called The Tangible Kingdom. Amanda and I read that before we got into church planting, and the authors of this book talk about whimsical holiness. And Stephen stopped me earlier, and he's like, do you mean winsome holiness? I was like, no, whimsical. He's like, well, you know, that means like fairy tales and like the magic of Disney and all that stuff. And I said, yes, that's exactly it, that there ought to be this whimsy about us, that there's something just magical about our lives and the way that we give it away, the way that we serve others, that, that makes them question and see that there is something different. And what is whimsical holiness? It is, according to Hugh Halter and Matt Smay, it is being like Jesus with those Jesus would have been with. So we need to be like Jesus with those Jesus would have been with. And I challenge you uh, to go and look and read about the kind of people that Jesus hung out with. Challenge you to do that. And then find those people in your life and go serve them with winsomeness and whimsical holiness that they would see it and they would desire it. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Jesus says, You are the light of the world. You are the ones who are to be showing them that when they see your good works, that they would praise your Father in heaven. Serve other people in a winsome and attractive way that causes their eyes to look heavenward towards God who motivates you and against the grain of me-first culture to sacrificially serve those around you. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do that and give your, give your life away? Um, if you're a Christian, you know that um, your non-Christian neighbors are inspecting your life at every turn. They're looking for, for reasons not to believe. But when you serve them in this way and you give your life away to them, they're going to start questioning, why, why are you so different? What is so different about you? And, and uh, there's a, uh, one, one author says, love them until they ask you why. Love them until they ask you why. Uh, and he says, can you, can you bake a pie? Then you can love someone and show the love of Christ. Can you mow a yard? Can you help them fix their car? What can you do to serve, simply serve one of your neighbors in a way that, that demonstrates the love of Jesus Christ and opens that door for you to have that conversation of, hey, let me tell you why I came over and helped you today. Let me share the most important motivating factor in my life. Let your light shine. Let your light shine. Jesus, earlier in Matthew 5.13, says that we're to be the salt of the earth, and we're going to get there in just a second. And what he means by that is that we need to be authentic. Jesus would have been authentic in the way he related to his neighbors. And I know that that word authentic, relevant, 
It's way overused in the Christian circles today, but we want to be authentic. We want to be genuine in the way that we relate to our neighbors. Matthew 5.13, Jesus says this. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but salt, but if salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but, it, but to be thrown out and trampled by men. And uh, I was teaching this passage to the youth a couple weeks ago, and, and they informed me that to be salty uh, doesn't mean what, what Scripture thinks it means. It means you're copping an attitude. So we definitely don't want to be salty towards our neighbor or use salty language, right? Uh, we, what Jesus means by this is that there ought to be something that flavors your life, that Jesus ought to so flavor your life that when they taste you, how many of you like like savory foods. I love savory foods, like a good salty snack, especially if we mix it with a little sweetness. If I can get sweet and salty in one thing, man, I'm happy. Uh, I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. But, if, but that saltiness, that savory, like your mouth just starts to drool a little bit thinking about it, that salty flavor is the way we ought to be, that we ought to have something that flavors our life, that when people come into contact with it, they say, yeah, I want some of that. I want that to be a part of my life. And the thing is that, that Jesus Christ is the thing that flavors our life. And so we are to be in the world, but not of it. We're to be mixing it up with the same people that Jesus would have been with. The people that most, most of our society says, you know what, I don't want to have anything to do with them. That we ought to go and we ought to be around those people. And we ought to be comfortable around them. It doesn't mean we have to do all the things they do and say all the things that they say. But we ought to be with them. And that as they are exposed to us, that they ought to get a taste of Jesus Christ in their life. Bill Hybels, one of the authors of of this study, came up with a formula. And his formula is this. HP plus CP plus CC equals MI. And some of you are thinking, oh man, I thought I was done with chemistry when I got out of high school. I'm not sure what I'm going to do here. Uh, But what is this formula? Well, formula is for, it equals maximum impact. MI is maximum impact. And so HP is high potency. That is salt that is salty, right? It is strong stuff. If you've ever used like sea salt, you know that it's way more salty than table salt. Love it. Put it on my avocados, put it on everything. I love salty. High potency. That means it is powerful. It's got a strong taste to it. High potency, with close proximity. That means you've got to come into contact with those who are not followers of Jesus Christ. You've got to be in close proximity. You've got to live your life among them. And lastly, clear communication. You've got to clearly communicate why you are loving them. You've got to clearly communicate the reason for the joy in your life, why you are so happy. It's got to be authentic in order to have maximum impact, high potency, close proximity, clear communication equals maximum impact. How many of you want to live a life that has maximum impact for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Maximum impact, high potency. Salt has got to come out of the salt shaker. I know a a number of people who say, isn't it great that all my friends go to church with me? And I will look you straight in the eyes and say, no. It is not great. I'm glad you have a strong circle of Christian friends, but you ought to have people who don't know Jesus Christ in your life. You ought to be in the places that Jesus would have been, hanging out with people that Jesus would have hung out with, so that you can have the maximum impact, high potency, close proximity, clear communication equals maximum impact. 
I want to read a, a story, a letter of this young lady named Angela, uh, who, not our Angela, different Angela, uh, <laughs> different Angela. She was uh, attended a, a debate at uh, a church up near Chicago where Lee Strobel was pastor, and she came. It was a debate between a Christian and an atheist, and uh, she went hoping to see this Christian just get demolished by this atheist intellectual uh, college professor. And at the end of the debate, they actually had a vote, and it turned out unanimously, everyone in the building voted that the Christian won, and 48 people came to know Jesus Christ as their Savior that night because of of, uh, that debate, and not a single person converted to atheism, right? So it was just unanimous, and so she took the opportunity to get into a small group led by two Christians with a group of other non-believers where they could just ask questions, and she ended up writing this letter to Lee Strobel uh, during that time. She says, the Christian I grew up with was so confusing to me, even as a child. People said one thing but did another. They appeared very spiritual in public, but were very abusive in private. What they said and what they did never fit. There was such a discrepancy. I came to hate Christianity, and I did not want to be associated with it. Do you see? Do you see how their actions, their attitudes, turned her away from Jesus Christ? We're going to see that the, the exact opposite is going to become true for her. Can you see how people repelled her from Christ? Something very interesting happened to Maggie after the debate. She got in this small group. When she says, when I came to the church to my, into my small group, I needed gentleness. I needed to be able to ask my questions. I needed to have my questions taken seriously. I needed to be treated with respect and validated. Most of all, now, now listen to this. I needed to see people whose actions matched what they say. I'm not looking for perfect, but I'm looking for real. Integrity is the word that comes to mind. I need to hear real people talk about real life. I need to know if God is or can be a part of real life. Does he care about the wounds that I have? Does he care that I need a place to live? Does he ever, can I ever be a whole healthy person? Have I asked the question, uh, I have asked questions like these, and I have not been laughed at or ignored or invalidated. I have not been pushed away or pressured in any way. She goes on and says, I don't understand the caring that I have received. I don't understand that the leaders don't seem afraid of questions. They don't say things like, you just have to have faith or you need to pray more. They don't seem to be afraid to tell who they are. They just seem genuine. Maggie ended her letter with a poem that she wrote to the two leaders of her group. Listen to this. Listen to what she writes. It's a young woman, uh, and she says, imagine saying, imagine one of your neighbors saying these words directly to you. Do you know, do you understand that you represent Jesus to me? Do you know and do you understand that when you treat me with gentleness, it raises the question in my mind that maybe he is gentle too? Maybe he isn't someone who laughs when I am hurt. Do you know, do you understand that when you listen to my questions and you don't laugh, that I think, what if Jesus is interested in me too? Do you know, do you understand that when I hear you talk honestly about arguments and conflicts and scars from your past, that I think maybe I'm just a regular person instead of a bad, no good little girl who deserves abuse? If you care, then I think maybe he cares. And then there's this flame of hope that burns inside of me. And 
for a while I'm afraid to breathe because it might go out. Do you know, do you understand that your words are his words, that your face is his face to someone like me? Please be who you say you are. Please, God, don't let it be another trick. Please let this be real this time. Please, do you know, do you understand that you represent Jesus to me? This is coming from a woman who doesn't know Jesus Christ as her Savior. And I imagine that many of your neighbors are thinking the same thing. Do you know and do you understand that you represent Jesus to them, to your coworkers, to your classmates? Lee was so impressed by this letter that he called Maggie to ask if he could share this letter with the church because he was convicted uh, and he was encouraged. And so he calls her and he says, uh, hey, I, I read your letter. Would I be able to share it with the church? And she says, Lee, didn't you hear? And he's thinking, oh, man, what happened? What inauthentic, what jerk of a Christian did she run into that's turned her off? And she says, no, 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 it's a good thing. Last Tuesday, I put my trust in Jesus Christ. And, and he says, well, well, what was it? What was the final thing that got you over the line of faith? What question did you have answered? What bit of knowledge did you learn? And she says, it wasn't like that for me. She said, I, I just encountered these two leaders who loved me like Jesus loved me and I realized that I wanted to be like that so she comes to put her faith in Jesus Christ not because her questions were answered but because of two people who loved her the same way that Jesus loved her can we do that can we develop that kind of heart for our people for our friends neighbors and co-workers classmates it begins simply by praying for them it begins by letting them know that our door is always open It begins by letting our light shine, by serving them and giving our life away to them in a way that is whimsical and winsome. And then by by allowing our saltiness to rub off on them, that they would taste and see that the Lord is good. I want to encourage you in the next few weeks that, that you would just begin as Jesus would have. Begin in prayer. If you don't have an impact list, I want to challenge you. Begin writing down the names of all the people in your life that you either know they don't know Jesus Christ or you're not sure about. Begin praying for them. My prayer is that by next week, we would have more stories like Devin and Angela who were just faithful and just said, God, use me today. Whatever it is, however small, uh, yet they had a maximum impact in someone else's life, changing their eternity. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that your greatest concern was that people would believe. We thank you that someone loved us enough to share Jesus Christ with us. We ask that you would help us to demonstrate your love to the world around us by sharing Jesus Christ with those we know where we live, work, and play. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.